team full of mambas Run into your mamas, turn into a condo Fuck that beef shit, a nigga in the chasing commas And fuck the president, you can't chop a whole bomber Johnson's a problem, my roster, they monsters I'm rocking with mobsters, with dreads and my shotters Broke five on me, I creep through your concert yeah. Cause if it's fucking beef, I turn your brains to lasagna Hi, Middle America, it's me again. Don't adjust the thermostat. I'm just bringing heat again. Got more soldiers than the army brigade, and I'ma stay on top where the boosie fade. The Uzi spray with drugs like a school parade. My dues is paid. I'm sitting like I chew grenades. Your crew is played. It's looking like you do for trades. My crew is made. They think that my recruits is paid. You too afraid. I swear my flow is smooth this way. You too delayed. I tools like Karuchi's bay. I know I'm the truth. What's up, what's up, what's good with it, everybody? We are back again for another episode of the Pick and Roll Podcast. And we got a lot of basketball to talk about, man. Sam, what's good? What's good, baby? Man, you uh you sound pretty uh pretty uppity. I, I didn't think you'd be as excited with what's been going on with your Warriors lately, man. You sound you sound a little more peppy than I expected you to. You know how I'm panicked when they come to them guys, man. <laughs> I feel that. So let's jump straight into it, man. Since uh, since you don't panic, I think it's only right that we start out talking about your boy, man. It's uh, There's been a lot of heat thrown Steph Curry's way, and I've seen a lot of people uh, saying he's not living up to who he was supposed to be or who people expect him to be. Um, then on the flip side, I see a lot of people saying, nah, I mean, uh, what more do you expect from him? He's just not shooting well. This, this, and that, that. So my my question to start things off to you is, do you think Steph Curry is getting a pass for underperforming? What's your, what's your whole take on that? Uh, I definitely don't think he gets a pass. I mean, I'm, I'm not even giving him a pass for it. But um, I feel like um, a lot of people that you see criticizing Steph, are people that don't like Steph and are, are trying to really push a narrative. It's not about what he's doing right now, really. they just trying to use what's going on right now to push a narrative that they got about Steph. And, and that's the issue. Because, I mean, it's, I mean I'm, I'm not really sure what, what people expect from Steph when he's not hitting – like when he's not shooting well. I don't understand what, what else people expect for him to do on the floor. I think uh, I won't necessarily say he's getting a pass, but I will say that it's being swept under the rug just a tad bit. Like I'm seeing them attack other parts of the Warriors as opposed to holding Steph accountable for not being Steph when it comes to performing. It's not that he's, I guess, not performing. Like you said, he's just not hitting this shot. But Steph Curry is... He's not just a shooter. He has a lot of other great attributes that I feel like he could bring to the table as far as his game is concerned. And with Steph, I would just like to see him uh, ratchet up his defense a little more. Also, I would like to see him uh, find find different ways to get involved with the offense as opposed to just uh, coming off screens or whatever. And that, that a lot of that goes into Steve Kerr as well. As a coach, you got to see, okay, I've got this phenomenal shooter who also does a lot of other things well too. Maybe let's let's try to get him comfortable in doing some other things because we're not going to act like Steph's not a phenomenal passer. We're not going to act like he's not a great ball handler. Steph does a lot of great things on the court. So as a coach, I feel like if his jumper's not falling, you can't just throw your hands up and be like, well, eventually he's going to start hitting. So it is what it is. If he hits, he hits. If he doesn't, then, hey, 
we're just gonna have to take that L. And I understand uh, shooters shoot. That's what you do. You continue to shoot. I'm not saying don't shoot. I'm just saying as a coach, switch it up a little bit. Try to get him involved a little more. But um, yeah, I don't necessarily think that he's uh, he's uh, I guess underperforming per se. I think it is a lot of him taking the shots that he normally takes. He's just not hitting. And we also have to take into account that in game two, he did dislocate his finger. Right. So that has a lot to do with it. I don't know if people who don't play basketball are making all of these assumptions or, but if anybody who's ever played basketball, you know that if you stub your finger, it's hard to shoot. So imagine dislocating your finger and, that like it that that holds a lot of weight regardless of what hand it's on every finger is pivotal when it comes to being a great shooter whether it's on your guide hand or your shooting hand it's definitely going to hold weight so i feel like that has a lot to do with it but one thing i will say is i did see a lot more out of Steph last night like uh, as far as his play was concerned that i was pretty excited about as far as him uh switching things up but uh, we'll get into that, I guess. Now, um, let's talk about the series as a whole, man. What what has changed as far as the series, as far as the Golden State and Houston series? Because prior to them going to Houston, it looked like it was pretty much over for Houston. Like they just they look like a completely different ball club. And I do know that switching locations and coming home, like you get that extra boost when it comes to the crowd and your fans and all of that stuff, but. Outside of that, what what would you say has changed in this series for the for the Rockets to have shift completely into looking more dominant in this series? Um, I think first off, you touched on a little bit. A lot of it has to do with the Rockets being at home, um, but also giving the Rockets credit, um, they have done a good job as far as adjusting their uh, rotations mm-hmm. and and their scheme. Um, based off of the the Warriors Hampton Five, and um, James Harden has been hitting a lot more shots. That also has changed the series a little bit too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think uh, a lot, like you said, like they've done a lot of adjusting, and that's not even just from like a player standpoint or personnel. They've done a lot of changing as far as coaching. Like you, uh, we we talked about a last episode of how they're either shooting threes or shooting layups. You see now James Harden starting to get more into the paint, shoot some floaters. He's starting to shoot more mid-range shots. And that, I mean, it, that bodes well. Like that, as far as your team is concerned, if you can get it going, the rest of your team is naturally going to rally around you. It's just going to happen. And I feel like that has a lot to do with it as well. Was there something else you was about to say? Nah, it's just, um, I mean, the Rockets, they, they've been playing better basketball. And I think a lot of it does have to do with James Harden hitting his shots, but you do got to give um, some credit to the coaching staff as far as the adjustments they're making too. Yeah. Can't, can't act like they haven't been making adjustments. But, um, I mean, we also got to take into account too, Steph and Clay have not been – well, Clay, he, he hasn't done anything the past two games. Steph was a little better last night as far as scoring-wise. He still isn't hitting the three ball well, but, I mean – a lot of things a lot of things did change as far when we got to um, Houston. Yeah, and to I guess to go along with what I just said about the um uh, 
Rockets adjusting as far as coaching is concerned. The Warriors have done a bit of that too, but they've adjusted for the worst, in my opinion. Like, uh, you look at game one, game two, uh, even game three uh, to a certain extent for a majority of the game, uh, the Warriors seemed to be at their best when uh, everything was pretty much centering around KD. I feel like the Warriors are trying a little too hard to get Steph back involved or to get him back to himself. Um, See, I feel completely opposite. I feel like Steve Kerr needs to run the offense around Steph. Um, and the reason being is um, since the Warriors and and KD teamed up, um, KD has scored 40-plus 13 times, and Steph has scored 30-plus 17 times. Um, they're 15-2 and two when Steph is 40-plus and 6-7 and seven when KD is. Um, the re- I feel like the reason that is is because when KD is getting 40-plus, that generally means that nobody Steph, else is. Yeah, Steph isn't shooting well. And, and, and um, that's what I mean. That's, that's exactly what I'm alluding to. Steph isn't shooting well. And I'm not saying don't give Steph the ball if you're Steve Kerr. I'm saying that when you're in a series like this, you won game one, you won game two. And in those games, Kevin Durant was extremely dominant. You made sure that he had the ball in crucial moments and it paid off for you. Game three, you paid for it. Late down the stretch, you had opportunities where Kevin Durant should have had the ball. Steph ended up having the ball. Take He took maybe one elevated shot um, as far as the, what was it? Was it was it last game or the game before last when K it was last game when KD had the wide open three at the end of the game, right? Uh you talking about when they both got one? Yeah. Yeah, that was last game. Yeah, that things like that. Like I felt like that was perfect. You drew that up for KD. It didn't fall, but I felt like that was the right move. In game three, you should that should have been the same you should have had that same opportunity. I don't feel like I feel like I think it was Steph that came down and it was like uh Basically in transition, and he pulled up for three with none of his teammates around or anything like that. Like, it was extremely ill-advised, granted to Steph Curry. But at moments like that, I would like to see uh, I would like to see KD get more involved in that, and not even just in crucial moments like that. Just in general, you see that your player, in, uh, Steph, is he's struggling. It's, that's just what it is. And this isn't the time as a coach to be like, Okay, I know he's struggling, but here I'm going to try to get him involved a little more, even if that means taking some shots from KD. I don't agree with that logic in this scenario, in this situation. I feel like that those two games in Houston were huge. I feel like both of those games you had an opportunity to be like, fuck it, we're gonna put our foot on a neck and get them out of here. Now you didn't gave them confidence, they didn't ran away with two games in a row which that doesn't happen often against Golden State. So more, I'm more along the lines of it's not that um, it's not that KD should have the ball all the time or anything like that. I still – obviously, you're still going to run your place for Steph. That's just what it is. But um, there, are, there are gaps, like – Anybody that knows the game, you know that there are gaps. You you have to hit certain gaps at certain times. When you see a team on a run, you have to find a way to stop that run. 
or certain games, certain gaps in between the game where you're like, okay, they this is a potential run moment. You see that they hit a couple shots. We've missed a couple shots. It's a potential, like this thing could blow up. When those moments happen, that's when I like to see a coach step up. Hey, let's get in this set. Let's get KD the ball. Let's get it going. I feel like um, Steph, Steph isn't doing anything wrong excuse me, in this particular scenario because of who he is. Like, if he sees a shot that he likes, you can't tell him not to take it. But from Steve Kerr's point of view, let's 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 make those shots a little easier for him. We get KD going, they're going to eventually have to double off somebody. That ball rotation is, is going to eventually end up on Steph. But – Yeah, I'm not – I wasn't saying at the end of the game. I'm talking about throughout the game, I think that, that the offense is a lot better – when when Steph is trying to get the ball and he's moving and the ball's moving as opposed to just handing Katie the ball. Yeah, I agree. I agree I with that. You you gotta keep you gotta keep Steph involved. And for anybody, because I didn't miss seeing a lot of people talking about he need to quit shooting something. Definitely not. You're a goddamn fool. <laughs> you think that? Like it's the best shooter we've ever seen. Like yeah, he's struggling, but any make could it could ignite a, a ten threes in a row moment. Exactly. You never tell a guy like that to stop shooting, period. Like, I don't understand that. If you're going to ride with this guy when he hitting shots, then don't be acting all crazy when he not. Like, that shit is so fake. Yeah, because niggas is loving him when he hit four in a row and then come down and pull up from damn near half court. Niggas ain't like, why the fuck would he shoot that shot? Niggas is like, damn, if he would have hit that, that shit would have been tough. Or if he did hit it, Steph, that shit tough. Steph is a beast. But this the exact it, reason. This it's, is it's crazy. This is the same logic that makes me not, makes me um say that there wouldn't be a best player in the world though, because every night, bro, these guys is, is somebody is something different, and I, I feel like I don't know. It's just I don't know. I you know, go ahead. You can't really get a gauge on 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 who who people are because it's basketball. I mean, and when it's I don't know. I don't know. I can't even put it in the words what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think I got it for the most part. But uh, as far as Steph is concerned, man, like I said, he did some things early on in game four that I really enjoyed. The One of the things that I said from one was ratcheting up his defensive effort. And you saw early in that game, he stepped in front of some uh, some potential moves, took a charge. He was making the right plays as far as passing the ball was concerned. He was just more engaged in multiple ways. And I will say, even though he didn't shoot well in game four, game four was arguably his best game uh, throughout the series because of what else he did. Like, he did a little bit of everything. And I I just – I don't understand what's going on with Clay now one bit. I saw a statistic today on ESPN. Clay Thompson is shooting 23% from three on uncontested three-point shots. Like, whoa. Well, I don't... Yeah, that's crazy. That's a, a mind-blowing statistic to me because it's like, this is one of the best shooters in the world. And we're not talking tough shots. We're not talking uh, mid-range shots where he's contested or fadeaways or anything that's hard. We're talking uncontested three-point shots. You got time to get your feet set. You can catch it. And you don't got to worry about nobody closing out on you. And you're shooting 23%. If you're not hitting anything, those are the ones that you should be hitting. So that's that was a little alarming to me. Uh, I think for the Warriors to make a step at closing the door on these guys, because 
this game five is going to be uh, it's going to be something. This is really going to show us what this series is going to be. Everybody knows that game five is always extremely pivotal in any series, but in a series like this, when you see a team like the Rockets basically gaining all of this momentum, if they can carry this in the game five, then woo, we're looking at a we're looking at a potential upset here. But um, one thing guess, before we get off of the Warriors, though, was you about to say something about the Warriors too? Yeah, uh, but go ahead and say what you was going to say because it was a little different than the series as a whole. Yeah, I was just about to say, um, as far as Steph is concerned, in order for him to get things turned around, um, like you already touched on the finger. Um, people forget that he had also tweaked the uh, the ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, when – and um, your fatigue down the stretch, too. When I, I feel like he, he can still shoot a lot of threes, but he's got to start trying to get a couple easier ones. I like the way he approached the game yesterday. Um, as far as um, getting a couple layups first, mm-hmm. before he, you know, he's he, that's why I say it's on Steve Kerr to keep get him involved. When I say that, I mean like draw up something to get him a couple easy looks mm-hmm. to where he can just get it going again. I mean, like you said, he's got to just go locate a finger, he's got to tweak ankle, he's fatigued. Like, I'm not making excuses, I'm just saying, as a shooter, this is real. shit. I mean, end of the season, you playing over 100 games. Your legs is going to be dead. Then you throw in the messed up finger. You throw in the fact that you're having to give it 110% effort on defense. You're not used to having to do that either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I mean that's one of the best ways to stop a shooter is to make him have to guard on the other end. So, I mean, you got to commend the Rockets for that. But Steph has got to – he's got to find a way to um to impact a game or two in this series or the Warriors going home flat out. Yeah, that's that's more of what I'm looking for. I'm not I'm not necessarily looking for Steph to go out here and have a phenomenal shooting night. I'm looking for him to affect the game in other ways and eventually that shooting is going to come. But like I said, he did a little bit of it uh game 4. I just want to see it consistently throughout the game like uh, the way he approached it defensively, you saw that he gave a little more effort, like I uh, alluded to as well, as he threw uh, – he made uh, pretty good decisions with the ball as far as passing was concerned. He wasn't always looking for his shot every time he touched it. And uh, that's one of the things I'm not seeing out of Clay is that he's not – Clay isn't protecting the ball as well as he normally does. He's making a lot of ill-advised passes – uh, he just he just doesn't seem like himself, which I don't understand. But uh, I guess to stay on the Warriors a bit, a statement came out uh, yesterday, uh, day before yesterday. DeMarcus Cousins said he expects to return this year. Do you see that being a possibility? I mean, yeah, if he's saying, because <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, it's him. Yeah, I don't, I don't got no reason to doubt it. If he said he can come back. Steve Kerr said he was he was coming along pretty well too. So I mean, who am I to doubt it if he said he could come back? And the thing with that is that was most alarming about that to me was I remember when you said uh, the Warriors were holding him out, but Boogie came out and made a statement and was like, "I can play." Like early in the year, before he even started playing for the Warriors, he was like, "I'm I'm there. Like I'm ready to play. They just gonna hold me out for precautions to make sure that I'm ready." But if it was up to me, I would be playing right now. And once he finally came back, we saw, oh, yeah, Boogie's ready. 
he just got to get in shape, but he's ready. Like, he wasn't lying when he said he was ready to play. So this isn't a guy who has a track record of just talking out of his ass. Like, I feel like once he says something like that, he means that. Like, he's like, yeah, like, I can come back and play this year. And I think more than anything, he'll, he'll push himself to do that just to show uh, other teams that are looking to grab him in the offseason. Like, I'm not just, like, a guy that's going to get injured – whenever like I might have a couple nagging injuries here and there but it's not nothing for them to worry about I'm I'm good like I'm back so I uh I won't be surprised to see him come back either but obviously that's the Warriors have more to worry about than Boogie coming back right now they've got to get through this series first he ain't coming back at all if they don't win <laughs> exactly don't matter exactly period but uh let's uh let's talk about our uh pick and roll podcast poll of the week the one that we set up this week, it was uh, it was a little different than what we normally do, but we actually got a lot of uh, responses on this one. So I guess the uh, the listeners uh, seem to really enjoy this one. Uh, the Pick and Roll Podcast fan poll of the week this week was, with both series tied at 2-2, who has the better chance to pull off the upset and win the series? We had Sixers over Raptors as one option and Blazers over Nuggets in the other option. Now, uh, our fans, it was, uh, I guess Last not, I looked, they got, it was ugly. Yeah. Nobody was giving Philly a chance. It's it's not super lopsided, but it is. Uh, the Blazers were the team that did come out on top as far as this poll was concerned. It was uh, Blazers over the Sixers, 69% to 31%. Um, you think that's pretty fair? You think that uh, our fans got it right? I honestly feel like Philly has a better chance to pull the upset than Denver. Um, Just simply because um, Toronto hasn't really been playing all that great. Kawhi's really been doing it all for them. So I think that if Philly can just get their guys to give their season averages, I think they'll be fine in this series. But um, I think that uh, the Nuggets – pose a way bigger problem for the Blazers. Um, Dame Lillard's not really being – he's not being bad. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been stellar either. Mm-hmm. And I think they just rely so much on that bench. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think Philly has the better chance. I would have voted Philly. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of split down the middle. Uh, my gut is telling me to lean toward Philly just because of uh, basically what you said and a lot – uh, has to do with Kawhi and him not having a uh, a legit, uh, I guess, running mate night in, night out. It seems to be uh, somebody different every night, and it's not uh, – the help that he is getting isn't necessarily sufficient. He's having to go out here and pour out some of his best work, which, I mean, he's certainly capable of. But as a player, you don't want to have to – do that in order for your team to win. You would like to be able to do what you do, but also get that help from a, from your teammates, and he, that's just not happening. Uh, as far as the Blazers, uh, reason why I would, if I were to pick the Blazers, reason why I would pick them is because of the inconsistencies that we've seen out of Denver uh, throughout the the off season as a whole. We haven't seen them string together multiple games where uh, they're Outside of Jokic, they've had people that look like uh, legit playoff guys. 
Nobody on their roster has looked like, oh yeah, he he yeah, he's definitely a a, a good, a, I guess a good pairing with Jokic um, consistently. We have, I mean, Jamal Murray, which he's shown that yeah, he's a baller. But how often can we get him to do that? Can we get him to string that together consistently? And we haven't. And the reason why. Um, I like the Blazers in that series is because I don't know if people have noticed, but outside of Milwaukee, Portland is the only team in the playoffs that has not lost back-to-back games. So that, I mean, they obviously, regardless of the struggles that they have, they know how to get it, get it done. It might not happen every night, but I mean, it's certainly happening. If not every game, every other game, because they're not losing back-to-back. So I think that bodes well for them. They've been adjusting well um, after each game. Yeah, Just that's like that's one of the biggest things that stands out. Yeah, they they make good adjustments in between the games, but I don't know. I just think that Jokic in the end is just going to be too much for Portland. Yeah, I, I wouldn't dispute that at all. Um, this is a favorable matchup as far as um, Denver is concerned because – Portland, for one, they don't have uh, – they don't necessarily have the depth to deal with Jokic, but they have Ennis Cantor down there, which they believe in him enough to not necessarily double Jokic as much as most other teams would. And that's helping him become extremely comfortable with the ball. And on top of that, it's an uh, Ennis Cantor who's banged up. Like, he's not 100%. We've seen that his shoulder is really doing damage to him. Mm-hmm. So, um, that has a lot – I feel like that has a lot to do with it as well. If Portland can find a way to, uh, I guess, not necessarily get him healthy as far as Cantor is concerned, but make him effective uh, even with being injured, defensively and offensively, they have a good chance. But I feel like that's just asking a lot um, from a team like Portland. So, I don't know. I I feel like I'm a little on the fence. If I were to pick one, I feel like I would probably gravitate toward Philly a little bit too. Um, Both of the situations to me are extremely similar. You got two teams in uh, Philly and Portland who – they they have uh, glaring weaknesses and inconsistencies. Like you said, Dame has been good, but he hasn't been great. Um, as far as Philly is concerned, I don't think you can point to one player on their team who's really been like – I feel like if you could, it would probably be Jimmy Butler. But there hasn't been anybody that's just like been themselves in the series. So – uh yeah, that's that's definitely a tough one. But let's uh let's jump to our blind resume of the week. We got back to that this week, man. We haven't done that in a while, so uh, I was pretty excited to get back to that. Um, our blind resume. We decided to do NBA. Uh, since we got playoffs going on and whatnot, resume one. Um, had a total of nineteen point nine points per game over his career. He averaged three rebounds per game evenly also on top of that he averaged 7.6 assists per game so that's 19 3 and 6 um he shot 43 percent from the field he was a two-time nba all-star and was also a two-time all nba third team player now resume two 
Only averaged 15.2 points per game, but he did average 4.5 rebounds per game and a little less than uh, or significantly less than our resume one. He averaged 5.0 assists per game. Shot 45% from the field, so a little better. And on top of that, he was a four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA first team, one-time All-NBA third team. Now, he... uh. He actually lost this one. Resume two did. Resume one won by a score of 11 votes to seven votes, which tallied out to be about 63%, 64%. So um, resume one averaging 19, three, and seven was who, Sam? Uh, Stephon Marbury. And resume two averaging 15, four, uh, four and a half, and five assists per game was who? Anthony Hardaway. Pennies. So this is a uh this was extremely interesting to me when I got to looking at the statistics, mostly because of the praise that everybody gives Penny as a player. Now that's not to knock Penny at all because Penny's actually one of my favorite players of all time. Um he was a phenomenal player and obviously he had injuries that uh dampened his career a little bit. Um but when he was at his best, he was extremely effective and did a lot of things great. Um, as far as Starberry is concerned, I felt like I was glad that people picked him in this uh, blind resume because I felt like if we threw the names out there, everybody would have picked Penny. I just felt like that's how it would have went. But I felt like Stefan Marbury was always a guy who never got his just due. Never. As far I, as what he, he brought to the table, I feel like it hurt him a lot with the players that he played uh, yeah, in the same exactly. era with. Bro, he's the, he got to be the most underrated player of our generation, bro. I would agree with that. Because, I mean, he literally gets overshadowed by about 10 guys, and it's not his fault because mm-hmm. those guys was pure greatness. But he was a damn good player, man. Like, he 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 wasn't as great as them, but he was literally like right under. Like he was in a conversation. Next, he was that next tier down, and I think ultimately what killed him was his attitude. Definitely, definitely. There were a lot of coaches that uh, pegged him to be uncoachable, and that's why he was uh, became a journeyman at a point of his career. He was all over the place, but um. As far as his play on the court, you can't take anything from Starberry. I think, like I said, it was a, a a combination of when he played and who he played with. Uh, if Stephon Marbury played in today's NBA, he would be one of the best point guards in the NBA. Point possibly, blank, period. Possibly the best. Exactly. And I felt like at that time he played with guys. He came, uh, came in with, uh, around the same time as A.I., so that hurt him a lot. What Allen Iverson was doing. They was in the same draft. Yeah. What Allen Iverson was doing, uh, Stephon Mar- Marbury was doing, but not as, uh, I guess, uh, not as appealing to everybody else. And Allen Iverson was just, I mean, he, he was AI. What can you say? So I felt like he got compared a lot to AI. He wasn't quite AI, but he was AI-ish. Like he, he had a lot of the same. Yeah, ooh. Exactly. Like they they do a lot of similar things. One guy was just a lot better at it. Um, because I mean Iverson, he's still twenty six per game for his career. So I mean, Marbury was that type of player. 
but he wasn't that caliber of that type of player. Like, mm-hmm. I was but like, I mean, then you got like Ray Allen and Kobe, like the, the top 10 in the league at that time overshadowed Marbury. If he wasn't at the tail end of that top 10, he might've been like 11, but like he was right there. Like, and, and we never really talk about him just because there's so many other guys that was around at that time. But man, you can't deny Stephon Marbury, man. He's an animal. He's still balling. Yeah, and one of the one of the major things that people uh, forget to mention was that he and Kevin Durant together with the Minnesota Timberwolves, they had so much potential to be something great. If they would have found a way to get that together, obviously I felt like his attitude and the fact that a lot of people deemed him uncoachable had to do with that. But those two together, oh, my goodness, that was a, a sight to see. I still go back and watch some of those games now uh, on YouTube and whatnot. And just to see how dominant those two were, you put those two talents together, uh, it, it was just it was a beautiful thing because that was a time in the NBA where you didn't necessarily have multiple superstars on the same team outside of Kobe and Shaq. So it was great to see that. And I think that I would have loved to see them Stay together, man. I think they could have did some amazing things down there in Minnesota. But um, yeah, well, man. Let me, ask, let me ask you this, then, What's up? real quick. Now that we got the names, which one are you taking? <sighs> That's tough. Um, if we're going solely off the resumes, I'm gonna go with Stefan. But if we're going, uh, I'm if we're going, I test, test and resume together. If throwing in, throwing injuries out the window, you got to give me Penny. You got to. Penny, I think Penny was the better player as well. I just I feel like Penny brought a lot more to the table. Uh, I, but see, really though, it, the only reason you could really say Penny brought more to the table was his height and length. Exactly, that's he exactly what I was about to, to say. More. His his size helped him a lot uh, as far as Marbury, defensively and all of that stuff. And Marbury was a, a good defensive player as well. Like that's I think not Marbury was more skilled than Penny. Penny just was the bigger guy. I can say, I can agree with that. I can agree with that a hundred percent. It's just, like I said, if I had to pick on both of them injury free, I'm taking Penny. Yeah. It's a no brainer that if you got two guys of equal talent or close to equal talent and one's bigger, Especially significantly that. bigger. <laughs> Who you telling? Yeah. You talking about six inches here. Mm-hmm. Maybe more. How tall is Marbury? Like six one, six two? Six. I think they had him listed six two, six three. Okay, so yeah, we talking about a half a foot here. We we got Penny listed at what, six nine? Six eight. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean it's significantly bigger. Yeah, yeah and it's a guy that's Penny is also a guy that I mean he's willing to do whatever it takes for the team to get better for the team to become better. He's blatantly gone out and said, like, I did whatever needed to be done to make sure Shaq was happy and to make sure that, you know, we was feeding a big fella. Like, that's that's just what it was. And Marbury, I mean, as we've seen, he's not uh, – he got to pack my, pat my back badge on 2K if you play the 2K. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, those are definitely – I was uh, I was excited to come across them too. I'm like, ooh, this is a good one. So, yeah, for all of y'all listeners out there, y'all probably would have picked Penny if we would have put the name. So, just know that y'all did pick Stephon Marbury over Penny Hardaway. And, uh, yeah, man, that pretty much does it for our blind resume. Let's uh, let's jump to another series, man. 
we saw a couple nights ago, man, Milwaukee flexed that muscle a little bit on Boston, and it seems to be pretty much over for Boston. Obviously, we can't count them out. You know, there's still games to be played. We've seen teams come back from the 3-1 lead. But uh, do you think Kyrie has played his last game in Boston? Um, I still – I'm not really too sure about any of these, this free agency stuff this year. I usually got a little clarity around this time of year as far as where I think guys are going to go. But it's all – I don't know, man. I really don't – like, where Kyrie going to go where the situation going to be better than what he in right now? Now, granted, if KD goes somewhere with him, then yeah, he in a better situation. But we don't know. We don't know for sure what KD doing. We don't know what Kawhi about to do. Like, it, it, I, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I, if I had to bet, I'd say yeah. I mean, I think that's the safe way to go. Um, as far as I'm concerned, man. Anybody that knows me. Ever since uh, my favorite player, which is Kobe Bryant, has retired, I've had two guys in the league that have been my favorite players. That's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Haven't watched Kyrie uh, year after year after year. I've started. I'm starting to understand him as a player. And last night told me a lot, or night before last told me a lot. Um, his body language wasn't. Uh, typical Kyrie body language he almost seemed as if like he was he was content with losing that game like his uh to me his lack of aggression it man it was extremely evident like I could just look at him and be like okay like I know he's not shooting well but that's not Kyrie Kyrie can miss fucking six seven shots in a row but that that ninth shot he's gonna shoot it just like he shot that first one or he's gonna attack the basket just like he did the first time and throughout that game, I saw a lot of moments where I'm like, mm, I don't know, is he kind of giving up on Boston a little bit or is he taking a step back? Like, his aggression just was not there. And with that being my guy, I didn't see him. I'm like, mm, that don't look good for Boston. I think he might be up out of there. Now, I say that to say this. I'm not necessarily sure well where he's going to go, but I think – He'll definitely go somewhere with another superstar. And to me, I would love to see him go play with Kawhi. I think they could complement each other extremely well just for the simple fact that Kawhi is not a, a, a superstar that demands the ball or demands attention. But when Kyrie isn't getting his rocks off, he's definitely a guy that could you know, do what he needs to do. But he's also going to give Kyrie that freedom to be able to do what he wants to do offensively. So I think that they could uh, they could work well together. And it's rare that you see two superstars paired together with one being an offensive juggernaut and the other one being a defensive juggernaut. And they're, I feel like they, they mesh well together because obviously Kawhi is definitely nothing to be slept on as far as the offense is concerned. Uh, and if you ask me, he's much more well-rounded offensively than Kyrie is, but he's just a, a obviously a guy who doesn't do it flashy, so people don't give him the same attention that they give everybody else. But as far as his uh, talent is concerned, his ability, yeah, you, you're damn right. Kawhi is just as talented as anybody else in the league offensively, and 
I think that him and Kyrie could work really well together. Now, to me, I've been trying to think and think and think about potential destinations that they could go to and it just be like, ooh, that could be special. But I can't think of anywhere that would have the money to pay them both and it'd be in a beneficial situation. That's the biggest thing to me. What about L.A.? To the Clippers? The Clippers could be cool, but I don't think the Clippers necessarily have enough uh, there. Granted, they were a playoff team this year, but I don't necessarily think they have enough to come out of the West. You add Kyrie and Kawhi, and yeah, they become extreme, like much better, but I don't think that they become favorites to come out the West. Not even if KD leaves? If KD leave, that makes it a lot more appealing. Obviously, that's an eye opener. That's something that's like, ooh. If we get in word that KD might leave, then yeah, the West is wide open now. Like it's obviously Golden State would still be the favorite, but that's something that that could definitely open your eye. Now, oh my goodness, something just popped into my head. What if? What if they do go to LA? Right. You got Kawhi and you got Kyrie in L.A. Then they turn around and sign Boogie as well because obviously Boogie's not getting the max this year. That's just – it is what it is. It's not going to happen that way. So what if he goes there at a bit of a discounted rate because of his injuries and whatnot and you pair all three of them together? That, to me right there, you're damn right. That's a favorite to come out the West. But I feel like uh, – that we'll be asking a lot from Boogie to be taking a, a a pay cut to be able to bring both of those guys in. And I uh, think Boogie gonna end up in Golden State again. I, I definitely don't. You don't think he's gonna sign another little deal? Nah, I think I think so. I think especially if KD leaves too. I mean, if KD leaves, definitely he's got a better chance of doing it. But I don't think he does. I mean, it's not far fetched because he definitely seems to love it there. Like his the uh his the way he gels with the rest of the teammates and um just the way he feels about being there, I think that you know that could be huge. But best possible situation to be in, yeah, especially I, with KD leaving. I agree. But I agree. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm clueless about free agency for real. Yes, this is definitely one of those free agency years. It's like, damn, it's a lot of potential guys. A lot of guys that are going to be free agents this year. But are they really going to leave? And if they do leave, where are they going to go? Because, I mean, we it's, it's guys that we know want to leave. <coughs> but it's like. Ain't no situations out there better than where yeah, you like, are. Where can you really go that's a better situation than what you're in? Regardless of what that situation is, even if it's not the greatest. How much how much money you think Toronto got? I have no idea. I would imagine that it wouldn't be very much. Yeah. I would agree with that as well cuz uh, I was thinking that if they could find a way to uh re-sign Kawhi and bring in uh Kyrie, trade out Kyle Lowry, they could be a dangerous ball club because Kyle Lowry probably soaking up all the chicken. <laughs> That's probably true. That is probably true because he did just sign that deal. What like two years ago? Yeah, he he resigned up two years ago because nobody else wanted him. Yeah, so I mean, 
that that shit right there hurts a little bit because they've got they're probably one piece away from being legit contenders. And that one piece could be somebody like Kyrie, somebody that you know is gonna night in, night out give you what you need to couple alongside Kawhi. So I just I like them two together a lot, but whether we'll see it or not, I, I'm not too sure about that, man. Let's um let's let's talk Portland a little bit. Uh, as I said earlier, Portland, along with Milwaukee, they're the only teams to not lose back-to-back games. This is prior to the game that's going on right now as we're recording. I, I believe that they're playing, uh, Portland is. But what does Portland need to do to continue that trend? Like, what, what needs to happen is in order for Portland to, uh, I guess – win out this series or find a way to win this series or just continue to trend as far as not losing back-to-back games? Um, Just keep doing how they've been doing. Just keep making game adjustments, get from game to game. And um, as long as – just keep getting that good bench play, man. That that bench play does help a lot. Every Every game is somebody different off that bench going crazy going for 17 or 19 or something and that's that's what's helping them because I mean like I said Dame hasn't been all that great yeah and I I I think that the bench definitely is a key point because of Dame you know he's eventually going to come around it's just going to happen but once you get that bench continuing to believe in themselves and then you couple that with a Dame Lillard yeah they're, they're definitely dangerous but even outside of that what I want to see them do is I want to see them go away from trying to stop Jokic. I want them to be content with Jokic going out there and getting his. I believe I said this on the last episode. I want them to be content with Jokic getting his and focus on everybody else. Don't yeah, let don't. everybody else beat you. Jokic is going to get his. He's just built that way. He, you have nothing for him on your roster. So you have to combat that with not letting Jamal Murray, not letting Gary Harris, not letting Malik Beasley, Will Barton, none of those guys that are not supposed to be beating you, beat you. Simple as that. You can't get outplayed by those other guys. You got you to gotta jam cutters against Jokic. Yes, definitely, because of how talented he is passing the ball. It's just, yeah, you got to make it more difficult on him getting other people involved. Simple as that. And I don't think that that's asking too much from a team like Portland. I think that they have the tools to be able to do that. And um, take it a step further to what you said, um, I want them to continue to believe in Rodney Hood because we uh, we talked about it in our group chat that we have. And Rodney Hood is somebody that I've always been high on, uh, even back when he was at Duke and he played with Jabari Parker, everybody knew Jabari Parker was uh, basically the, the best player in the nation that year. But Rodney Hood never shot away from his moments. There were plenty of games where Duke would have lost if it wasn't for Rodney Hood. So he's capable of stepping up when he needs to step up. I think in the NBA he's lost himself a bit and forgot who he was. Like he forgot his his ability. And I think he's in a great situation now to prove that he's exactly what he's got the potential to be, which is an, a great role player for a team. I think he's wing. got – yes, he's got the potential to be a great role player in this league. He's uh, definitely going uh, 
help his stock out a bit if he continues to play this way. And I think Portland personally is a great place for him to be. I think he fits perfect with Portland. Yeah, that's that was a good trade for him. Yeah, I they agree. They buy him out. I don't know how they got him. They traded. Nah, they traded for him, I believe. So, uh, yeah, I think that. Uh, I think that with that, that that could be a lot to help them out. But um, yeah, man, I I'm excited to see how that series plays out. A lot of people aren't paying much attention to it, obviously, because we have this these two uh, colossal series going on with Boston, Milwaukee, and. Houston and Golden State, but as far as I guess competitive series are going, this is right up there with that. Like it might be uh, right there underneath the Warriors, right? Right, might be uh, slept on as one of the most exciting uh, series that we've got. So yeah, man, make sure y'all y'all continue to tune in to that. But let's uh, let's jump a little bit and talk Kawhi now. Seems like he he's the only consistent thing for Toronto, and that's I feel like that's cool. But can they continue to win with him like being the only thing night in night out that's showing up? Um, I would have told you no if we would have recorded a little bit earlier, but um. Considering it's halftime, and they they up damn near twenty, then yeah, I think he can still hit. I think he can do it against this Philly team. Should he doing it again? Well, really, he I don't know. He really ain't. I don't know. I don't know, man, because he ain't really been doing all that much today. I think yes, um, they can continue to win with him being the only consistent thing in this series. As far as the rest of the series are concerned, you can cancel it. If Kawhi's the only thing that's going to show up for you, you're liable to get gentlemen swept, which for those who don't know is 4-1. And you might run into a squad where uh, it's looking like Milwaukee if you come out on top, and you might fuck around and get just flat-out swept for the simple fact that you got a guy in Kawhi who is going to have to exert so much more energy defensively next series than he has had to in any series that you've played thus far. So with what he's going to have to do next round, uh, assuming that they win defensively, that alone hurts my head because it's a lot of people are like, well, you don't got to play him on Giannis because they got Siakam. Cool. But then that means you're going to put him on Chris Middleton which is also a problem. Like, I obviously, I like Kawhi in the matchup, but it's going to take much more effort guarding a Chris Middleton than it has guarding anybody else that he's had to defend within these playoffs. So I don't think that mattered to Kawhi. I think he's one of the rare guys who can do it on both ends and then not make a difference. I, th- I mean, I think he can. Like, I would agree that he can, but I don't necessarily believe that as far as your team is concerned, if he has to do that night in, night out, that's going to hurt you as a whole because there are going to be shots where Kawhi is going to take that he's comfortable taking, but he's it's not going to be he's not going to hit those shots because of what he has to do in the defensive end. I'm not saying it's going to happen consistently like 
the entire night he's going to be a defensive menace, so he's not somebody that you can rely on on offense. Nah, I think Kawhi, if he has to play lockdown defense on a player all night, he can still turn around and give you 25, 30 here. But that's, we're asking, well, we're talking 25 to 30 as opposed to 35 to 40, what he's been doing. He's been in that range anywhere between 35 and 40 points damn near every night throughout the series. So he's, what is, I think, want to say he's averaging like 32 per game in this series or something like that. So I think that that takes a drastic dip, not necessarily drastic. I think he probably sits around 27 in a series against Milwaukee just because of what he has to do offensively. And defensively, it's going to be a lot tougher. Everybody knows that Milwaukee's long. Like, this is a big ball club. So those shots that he's getting now over top of guys like Jimmy Butler and other guys, Philly's a long team too, but not as uh, I wouldn't say not as athletic as a, a Milwaukee team. So I feel like that's going to play into it a lot. But as far as winning this series, yeah, I, I think that they'll be fine as far as Kawhi. Like if he's the only guy that shows up, they've got he's got enough to get past this Philly team because this Philly team obviously isn't showing that they're what everybody's expecting them to be. And they're not deep, and they really can't score when they're not – when J.J. Redick isn't hitting shots. They're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy to even think about. He's the oldest player on their roster. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking if he's not scoring and you're having trouble winning, like, that's a problem to me. And we've already alluded to Philly having to go in a different direction when it comes to uh, their future. We're going to have to see them part ways between uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And I think if you're Philly, you've trusted the process and the process hasn't worked for you. I think it's about time you do it sooner than later because, uh, I mean, what is it? Ben Simmons still on his rookie contract, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like you asking nothing crazy. I'm Like I said, I'm not against trading Ben Simmons right now. You can get something real nice for Ben Simmons. You can mm-hmm. get something real nice for him right now on this rookie contract. Play, other teams is like, well, hell yeah, we'll take that contract. Like, that's nothing. And eventually, if he ends up being what we need him to be, then, yeah, we can max him out and give him what he wants. But right now, <laughs> you got the luxury of dealing, willing and dealing with a guy that could be a potential superstar in the NBA. So, like I said, I'm hey, Philly, I'm not against it. I think it's about time you make moves in another direction. Or do you hold – do you do do you trade him during the draft? Mm, in this draft, I'm not against it because this draft has a lot – you can make a play for a guy like that. You can make a guy a play for a guy like uh, R.J. Barrett. Like I feel like there are a lot of players in this draft that could help them. Like right now, I wouldn't go R.J. if I was them. I'd go Cam. Mm. I think I, I think I think if you're going to trade for them, I I think it would have to be John Morant. Yeah, I was about to say. I feel like John Morant would be the best option. But uh, if by chance you trade and can't get John Morant, he's already off the board, uh, assuming him and Zion go one and two and the rest of the field is there. I'm taking RJ over Cam just for the simple fact that if you trade a guy like Ben Simmons, you're missing your playmaker now. Cam Reddish isn't a playmaker. RJ Barrett can be that for you. He can be that playmaker. He can be that scorer. He can be what you need him to be out there. A lot of that's also going to depend on what you want to do with Jimmy B too. So – um, I'm not 
I don't know. I'm not against trading Ben Simmons for a draft pick in this draft. Like that might be a phenomenal move. If you could fucking around who let's say who's gonna probably gonna have one and two. Probably assuming it'll be Cleveland and Phoenix with one and two. Uh let's just say uh Cleveland gets the number one pick and they take Zion off the board. If you got an opportunity to trade a Ben Simmons to Phoenix, I I think Phoenix would accept that. Man, I think Phoenix would accept that. You put uh, I, like <laughs> I was about to say you put Ben Simmons around a guy like Devin Booker and uh, DeAndre Ayton like that. I, that that's got some potential there. Yeah, I like that. So I I, I mean that's I feel like that's a good trade for both sides. Killing two birds with one stone. By uh, making the team happy and also in return getting a guy that could potentially be your franchise player in John Morant. Excuse me. And I think John Morant and uh, Joel Embiid could be spooky together. Yeah, that's the type of guy you want around the Joel Embiid. That could be spooky. So and you know um, I'm a Ben Simmons guy. It's not a it's not a talent thing. It's just their talents don't situational situational that's all it is those guys the situation doesn't benefit neither of those guys being together um yeah let's uh let's let's switch gears a little bit man let's let's talk uh nfl real quick it's not really much that's going on in the nfl right now but one of the major things is that uh the pittsburgh steelers signed big ben to an extension i want to say it was a two-year extension um you think that was a smart move for pittsburgh Um, I don't. It's tough to say. I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say yeah. I mean, you might as well stick with your veteran. I mean, they don't have anything else on their roster, but I don't know because Big Ben be stinking it up sometimes. <laughs> it's like it I just think... depends. Go ahead. How it was an extension, so he was he. Was his deal out? Um, or he still has some years on it? I want to say he had one more year on this contract. Yeah. What's this? This is 2019? Yeah, I'm cool with the extension, man. 2019, yeah, his contract was up. They gave him a two-year uh, two year extension that will yeah, keep him cool. until 2021. That's the right move. Go ahead and let him retire as a stealer. He, he did a lot of things for them. I think that it was a, a a good move for them as well. I think a lot of it came from them keeping that core fan base, man. Obviously, Stiller fans are loyal. But if you get rid of – you lose Le'Veon, you lose A.B., then you got a guy like Big Ben that still wants to come back and play, and you just like, nah, we good. We're going to go in another direction. Your fan base is like, what the fuck? We'd have lost our three favorite players in the – in the span of two years, like mm-hmm. it's a lot that comes with that. So I agree with the resign as well. Granted, like you said, Big Ben has been stinking it up, but who are you gonna turn to at this point? You didn't right. draft nobody that can put you in a better situation, which I personally think they should have made a play at drafting um uh what's your guy? Um WVU. Greer. Will Greer. I think they should have made a play at drafting him. And also still extending Big Ben. That being the case, you got a guy that's going to sit behind Big Ben and learn enough to where once Big Ben decides to hang him up, hey, 
we got a guy that's ready to come in right now and make them better. And also, I feel like that makes your team more appealing because they know what direction you're going in. People that are watching you, they're like, okay, yeah, Big Ben, I don't, don't want to necessarily play with Big Ben, but Will Greer could be something special. I think he might be somebody that I could play with. But, I mean, as of right now, like, I feel like you helped yourself as far as your fan base is concerned, but you didn't make yourself appealing for anybody to want to come there as far as uh, future free agency. You Free agency next year, free agency the year after that, niggas is like, shit, Big Ben's still down there right now. I don't know if I'm trying to go down there. You're not getting no big-time uh, receiver names, maybe running backs, but it's just uh, – I feel like Big Ben is a good sign, but there's been a lot of a lot of scrutiny around Big Ben. That players who have played with him, Le'Veon, A.B., even other guys, have said that Big Ben wants to win, but Big Ben wants to win his way. He doesn't necessarily believe in winning at all costs, even if it's not on my dime. Somebody else got to do it, fuck it. We're going to make it happen. But that, that to me, could hurt you uh, as far as – I guess that's the, the counter the counter side of uh, bringing in a guy like Will Greer. You don't want a guy sitting behind a guy like Big Ben and soaking up that type of shit to where, shit, Big Ben was – playing his way he he wanted shit to go his way so shit that gotta be the way to win i mean look look at what he did his whole career so i guess that could be the <laughs> flip side but yeah i'm i'm not against the resign at all i just think they need to make plays to look they need to look at the bigger picture they need to see what's gonna go on after big ben yeah because they're not even playing yeah they're not even trying to do they ain't trying to make no plays. That make a move for nothing. It's like they ain't trying to offend him or something. I don't know what the fuck they got going on down there, but I tell you what, I'm loving it as a Cowboy fan. I love to see turmoil in Pittsburgh. That <laughs> shit lights me up on the inside. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I, I don't think that it was a bad idea. But uh, let's talk college basketball before we get out of here. Um, what are the major stories that's been surfacing is that Sean Miller, which is the coach of Arizona uh, men's basketball, he allegedly paid number one, former number one pick DeAndre Ayton $10,000 a month to play at Arizona. Now, this isn't just uh, shit that came just out the blue. This came from a former assistant coach. So this hold a little weight. And uh, you touched on it a little bit uh, in our group chat, and I loved everything you were saying in regards to uh, we know everybody's being paid, but come on now. There's certain ways to go about it and what, what how you got to operate. What's, what's, what's your take on all this uh, Sean Miller stuff? Why is the head coach involved? <laughs> what is he doing? Like, I don't understand. I, why is he involved? Like, we we know that it's since the players ain't getting paid, some there's something going on under the table. We already know that. We everybody knows that. Like we don't know exactly to what extent and who and who and how it's going about. But one thing for certain is that the head coach of the basketball program shouldn't have anything to do with anything. They shouldn't even know. Um. So I don't understand why he's the one actually paying the kid. <laughs> like, yeah, that's just something like you don't you don't hear that too often. 
that that guy's I don't know what's wrong with him. Yes, yeah, like you said, a lot of it when the uh, speculations and stuff come out, most times you hear uh, boosters did this or former alumni made sure. Like you never hear head coach was in the middle of like it's like <laughs> it's like he was like uh, not necessarily educated on how shit worked as being the head coach like shit it's like somebody told him yeah shit we paying we pay the players but he took, he took it as we pay the players like oh shit so i gotta pay the players shit all right I mean, that's why we make all these meals <laughs> right <laughs> shit I, I mean i can cut a check they pay me enough but uh yeah man that the story came out with uh the former arizona assistant uh book richardson he was heard on a recording telling an agent named Christian Dawkins that Sean Miller was paying DeAndre Ayton ten thousand a month, and I mean it wasn't like, I mean, I mean it's been played. The conversation is recording has been played in front of the jury and everything. So at this point, it's like Sean Miller is pretty much I don't know. It, it ain't looking good for him, and the conversation went. Um, Richardson's talking to Dawkins, and he says. Sean's got to get the, I'm expecting he's saying, uh, fuck F, it just says explicit. He's got to get the explicit out the way and let us work. Dawkins says, we'll see how Sean plays it out. Richardson says, you know what he bought per month? Dawkins says, what'd he do? Richardson says, I told you 10000 Dawkins said, he's putting up some real money for them. He told me he's getting killed, but that's his fault. That's the dialogue. So it's not like the shit was just like they were uh, trying to get him caught up. That that to me sounds like a genuine conversation that two guys just sitting there having. Like, yeah, bro, I can't believe this nigga out here playing ten bands for him to play. Like, that's not even how you're supposed to do it. Like, I don't know. He's he is paying them ten bands. <laughs> like, he didn't say Arizona is paying them ten bands. He did not say you want to know what they paying him. He didn't say, he said, do you want to know what he is paying him? And then doubled down on it and said, he is paying 10 bands. Like, he is giving 10 bands. Like, that just don't make no sense to me at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's senseless. Like, and he said he getting killed, but that's his fault. Like, yeah, that 10 bands a month. (laughs) You're damn right. He like, I don't know how the other schools is doing this. I don't know how Coach Cal doing it. I don't know how Coach K doing it, but shit, we gotta win some games so I can try to get a bonus or something. <laughs> he trying to figure out how to get his ends back. Well, you should have saved them ten bands, Sean Miller. If you out there listening, it's a wrap, dog. I look like you ain't gonna be at Arizona much longer. Even if by some miracle they don't get you for this, Arizona got to cut. They got cut ties with you, dog. Is Arizona going to throw you under the bus before they throw themselves under? We had no idea he was paying them ten thousand a month. We did. We definitely did not advise that. And this ain't the first thing he's been involved in. He was involved in that sneaker thing too. See? So it's just like you're doing too much, man. Like he got a, he got Arizona's name in in too much. So yeah, it's time for them to part ways with him. Yeah, I, I think I think he's up out of there. Um, before we leave though, let's uh, Duke. Our Blue Devils, we lost an incoming four-star in Boogie Ellis. Boogie Ellis was a baller, for those who don't know. Um, 
he did average 23 points per game and five rebounds per game while shooting 57.5% from three. Uh, these statistics came from seven games that he played in Peach Jam. Those who know Peach Jam, that's, I mean, everybody's there. So it's not like he's playing against bums. Um, you think this is a big loss for us? Um, not really, just because of what we what all we got coming back to. I don't, I don't think everybody was going to be able to play, so that's just going to open up some minutes for somebody. I, I mean, it's not like I'm saying he's not a good player. It's just I think we're, we're in a good situation. Play. Yeah, we got plenty coming back. We'll be all right. Yeah, I agree. Um, Boogie Ellis to me reminded me a lot of um, a lot of Gary Trent Jr. Granted, he's not quite as big. He's only uh, 6'2", I believe. Gary Trent Jr. was 6'4". Um, Boogie could definitely fill it up. He was a scorer. But the biggest thing to me, I said this to you, R.J. Hampton reclassified a few days before Boogie decided to leave. R.J. Hampton's got Duke in his top schools that he's looking to go to. I... Me being the optimist that I am, I took this as, oh, shit, R.J. Hampton about to go to Duke. Something, there's, there's something there that just made him be like, nah, I'm not going to Duke no more. And it clearly wasn't Duke's current roster because the roster that they have is the roster that they had when he signed or when he committed. So um, to me, it's something deeper than just him stabbing out i think it's more on the horizon and i'm gonna tell y'all what rj hampton comes to duke we uh all i'm gonna say is we just flipped a four star into something super special i i'm i'm still hoping that that happens um if it does look out (laughs) we we definitely back on that road again Hopefully that'll be enough to get us to where we need to be. But um yeah, man, I uh if you play like people that play two K what and whatnot and uh people who keep up with the uh, recruiting and all of that, it's been like he was already uh leaning toward Duke as far as his coming out next year. Like you look at the draft class on two K, they got him coming from Duke, obviously in the year after that he was supposed to into the draft. So now it's like, shit, the process ain't do nothing but speed up a little bit. And now he got an opportunity to step in and be what he wants to be at Duke. Uh, hopefully that's what he decides to do. Uh, for those who keep up with him a bit, he decided to take a little hiatus from social media and said, uh, I'm out for a little while, but I will be back with the bang. So those who, uh, those who follow him, I'm sure, are expecting it to be his commitment. So we'll we'll see. Uh, I think that he would – obviously, I want him to come to Duke, but I also wouldn't be uh, too surprised if he decided to go to UK. But, uh, yeah. That's, that's never a surprise for a top player. Yeah, and with UK's uh, current situation, I think he can go in there and he'll be fine. Coming to Duke, obviously, he'll still be a starter, but he'll have to uh, alter his game a little bit. Um, he could still be that guy that he has been in college or in high school, but now he's got to play alongside another uh, point guard, being Trey Jones. But 
I think that they could possibly complement each other well. You saw what happened last time we had two point guards in the backcourt. We hung we hung a banner. Yeah, man. I think one of them got to come back as a shooter, though. Yeah, and I've already gone on record saying that I think Trey Jones is going to come back as a much better shooter next year than he is than he has been in the past. And it's not necessarily a, a mechanics issue or anything like that. It's strictly confidence with him. So I think that that's what Duke is going to work on more. They're going to tell him straight up. Excuse me, your jump shot is what's keeping you from being a lottery pick, son. You got everything else. You know how to lead a team. You're a menace on defense. You bring 100% effort every night, and you love the game. Like, just the way that he reacted once Duke lost, he, I mean, shit. Just watching it, you like, shit, yeah, he coming back next year. Hey, that shit hurt him a little too much. Mm-hmm. Like, he just, he loves the game. So, like I said, I feel like a jump shot is what's keeping him from being a lottery pick. And Coach K will get it right. Better believe it. Even if it's him working in the offseason with his brother, whatever he got to do to get that jumper consistent or respectable, he's going to do it. And I, I I would be elated if we get R.J. Hampton to come in and, and play alongside that guy because we're going to be super special if we do. But, uh, yeah, man, that pretty much does it for this episode. Was there anything else you wanted to say to the people before we got up out of here? Um, game five or game six, one of those two games in that Warriors and Rockets series, Clay Thompson going to have 40. We'll see. You did say uh, last episode that Steph was going to go crazy here soon. So I'm still waiting on that. But Shit, you and me both, bro. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm just hoping to see a sighting out of one of those guys because my, my guy KD can't be the only one showing up every night. But yeah, man, that pretty much does it for our episode, man. Signing out. It's your boy Ish. And it's your boy Sam. We appreciate y'all's listening. We out.